1: the signs of the times if it's time rise up rise up when death and hell dwell among all God's people when those we chose and trusted have become completely corrupted and inherently evil when the feast that feeds you starves our father's children when snuffed Porn and pedo forms begin to get top-billing. Rise up when rise famine up, claims millions, when justice gives blind eyes to billions, when the Lord's anger is no longer feared, if his protection is gone and your enemies are near, if you've seen the seas spill over and the mountains shake, break, and fall, if the moon ever turns blood red and you can't see the sun at all,
2: rise up, rise, no matter if the prize is high in the sky. Peace and welcome to New Abolitionist Radio on the Black Radio Network, a program that seeks to educate, inform, and agitate on the issue of 21st Century Legalized Slavery, hosted by social activist and spoken word poet Max Barthas, with new abolitionist and actionist Johanan Elaya and Black Talk Media Project founder Scotty Reed. On this program, we discuss recent news on legalized 21st Century Slavery and human trafficking, along with projects and people who help combat it. Today is the June 21st, 2017 broadcast of New Abolitionist Radio. It is the longest day of the year on the summer equinox. We are two months away from the Millions for Prisoners Human Rights March on Washington, D.C., August 19th, and things will only get hotter from here. On this day in history, 1964, James Cheney, Michael Schwerner, and Andrew Goodman were kidnapped and killed in what is known as the Neshoba County, Mississippi Freedom Summer Murders. Also on this day, New Hampshire became the ninth and last necessary state to ratify the Constitution of the United States, therefore making the document the law of the land. And finally, also on this day, my nephew, Justin Scott, was born, who has spent the last 15 years behind bars. In two years, we'll see him again. Our guests today will be returning, David Comer and Greg Jacoy. Yesterday was election day in SC District 5. We'll let him deliver the news of the results. As usual, we'll share relevant stories and events uh, pertinent to the abolitionist movement, open the lines, and talk sense in a world gone mad. Our abolitionist profile will be provided by Scotty Reed. Our rider of the 21st Century Underground Railroad is Daryl Dwayne Holloway, who in October of 2016 left Green Bay Correctional Institution one day after Milwaukee County Circuit Judge Jeffrey Wagner signed the order overturning the conviction and freeing him. Wagner had presided over the wrongful conviction in 1993. He spent 24 years in prison for a crime he did not commit. In the segment, For Freedom's Sake, A History of Rebellion, we will be remembering the Vesey Rebellion of June 1822 Got a question or a comment? Just call in at 1-866-TOLL-FREE 1-866-510-9025 You can chat with us and others by logging in at ubercon- uber, uberconference.com slash Network. Once again, I'm Max Parthas. What's happening, brother Scotty? Hey, what's going on, Max? What's good with you?
0: It's all good, man. I sound all right today,
2: uh, microphone? Yes, you sound okay. Sound oh,
0: great, cool, actually. Not just okay. It was know.
2: nice spending some time with you this past weekend, indeed, brother.
0: Uh, yes, especially with the historic nature of the occasion for us to meet up.
2: Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Um, which is uh we'll be talking about throughout the evening. Uh, it's, it was a hell of a day. I mean, there's just so many things Occurred. It was Father's Day And, uh, you know, it was Juneteenth weekend We had David Comer Running as an abolitionist on the Green Party Platform, and we were there Um it's just, you know, so many things Were occurring during that time, not to mention What was happening outside of that circle Of, of, of things, you know, with the Castile verdict coming out, and uh, the young lady who called the cops and got shot by the cops when she called the cops with a robber in the house, and so many things were occurring.
0: Yes, I reported on um, those shootings and those verdicts in my Black Talk Radio news commentary I do for Tanya Free and Friends every Wednesday, and they uh, air on the network at 2 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time right here on Black Talk Radio Network. Check them out at com. but uh, they definitely, I will count them as abolitionists especially since they have pledged to support our abolitionist activity and you know um, they've already expressed that uh, to to us. So Um, Yeah, I commented on some of that. It wasn't just a young lady. It was a a pregnant, I think she was like seven months pregnant, mother of four, soon to be five. With three kids. But that Mm -hmm. baby's life was snuffed out uh, as well. So, wow. Yeah, lots of stuff going on, man. Um, You know how I like to interact with our celebrity politicians on social media and just man uh david clark i am again pleased to hear he will not be joining the trump administration's homeland security post where he's supposed to be this uh liaison between the trump administration and in city law enforcement officials i mean that guy uh just just really scares me and so um you know, some of the things that he was saying and, and talking about our rights, and I'm like, you know, that Mr. Thompson had a right to water when he was in your jail, and your deputies uh, deprived that man of seven days of, of withheld water from him, of which he died of dehydration. So, man, just the hypocrisy that that I see, and, you know, we live in a, like, all, I Taken of late to saying it's a great time to be alive, especially in abolitionism, because uh, prior abolitionists did not have the tools that we have to to interact and, and get at these people who are perhaps thousands of miles away and, you know, it just be part of the national conversation, so just always, you know, I'm trying to be on my abolitionist grind, man. Yeah, man, and it's it's
2: hard not to you know take this as your main priority you know just yesterday scotty i was on the phone with a friend out in columbus ohio and i'm supposed to go to columbus ohio and talk to the people there in regards to slavery and human trafficking in the 13th amendment as part of a panel that they'll be doing so while we're talking uh hannah x and i she's getting news that right outside there is a young man being shot to death by police and the video i'll be putting on new abolitionist radio Apparently he ran from the police, and you know, in this day and age, if you run from the cops, uh, Walter Scott from the grave could tell you that's a reason to kill you, and that's what happened. So this was going on while I was talking to her. It's just amazing, man. Like you can't turn your head without seeing somebody being murdered.
0: Yeah, every day. But nothing. Every day. And while this work that we have been doing on the, for the past five years and um people over there at the Free Thought Project. I've never had any direct conversations with, with those guys. They do a great job at highlighting the slave catching of uh, brutality cases and fatalities and and what have you. But it's very depressing work. It is very depressing. I have bouts of depression. Who would not get depressed that, that you know cares about humanity to read these stories every day. Every day, and just here in America, let alone what's going on throughout the world, which we know slavery is has always been international trade, and and it remains so today through U.S.-based uh, companies like the Geo Group and and what have you. So, but again, you know, it's a it's a great time to be alive. I'm really looking forward to hearing from uh, David Kuma and um, Greg Jacoy, abolitionists out of South Carolina. Uh, I don't know. Perhaps somebody out there can do a quick uh, history check using the Internet and see if if David is perhaps the only uh, candidate for for political office, federal political office in South Carolina history to be an abolitionist. And <laughs> when you no, consider no, the history,
2: not. consider it was the- one other we had last year, Scotty.
0: What were they running for? I, I think that was, uh, that was... I don't think that was for federal Dimitri office.
2: Demetri Cherney. He me. was running for United States Congress. Demetri Uh Still running oh, for Oh, yeah, that's yeah. right.
0: Oh, I'm sorry, Demetri. Shout out to Demetri. So it seems a trend mm-hmm. is, is happening in South Carolina. And that's some new history that they can be proud of, man. So it was still historic. Yeah. And, and and um, you know, we'll let Dave... David and Greg give the results. Obviously, he did not win, but like I have uh, said before... Resistance... Oh, you gave
2: away the end of the story, Scotty. Oh,
0: come on. <laughs> come, come on, Max. Now, now you know that would be the lead, and, and everybody would know because we hope they've been following the contest as much as we've been you know, trying to tell people to, if they live in South Carolina among our listeners to, to tune in. But it's still a victory, though. It's still a victory. Anytime... There is resistance That is victory in that resistance In itself So I mean it's you know, a very exciting time man, In US politics I,
2: I think they're here with us I want to give them a quick introduction But before I, I, I do I just want to comment on something you said as Regarding that this can be a depressing thing And I know what's depressing for me Because I can watch all of these snuff films I know how to manage my, my emotions To be able to get past that And not have it just ruin my soul I can watch the brutalities, I can report on all of those, but what makes me so depressed is the same thing that vexed Harriet Tubman and vexed Frederick Douglass. When Harriet said, I freed a thousand slaves, I could have freed a thousand more if I could have just convinced them that they were still slaves. She would literally have to let gunpoint out of chains while they were still talking about I'm not a slave. The same thing with Frederick Douglass Who had got so frustrated In trying to get his brothers and sisters To stand up That he said you know what It's easier to raise Strong children Than to try and keep repairing these broken men And that's where I find myself Seeing the most depression Well Scotty uh, as you said We got some guests here Brother David Coma and Greg Jacoy Out of South Carolina Who ran on the Green Party ticket The District 5 special election for uh, Congress in South Carolina uh, put up a hell of a fight And uh, is a wonderful person And we have met and known each other personally now Our families Mm -hmm. as such And I think that we are going to be friends and family for some time to come Continuing to fight together Welcome to New Abolitionist Radio once again, David and Greg If you're on the line, just press star star to unmute yourself I got you, you already hey, with Greg oh, I heard you moan
3: <laughs> I- I'm here now <laughs> I'm All here right. as well
2: Hey David, welcome to back to new Abolitionist Radio uh, Thank you for You know, I've never been having- through this before, man Where we lose an election I don't know what to say, you know what I mean Like, I was asking Greg, should, should I say Send condolences, or should I say You know, you did a great job, I don't know what to say What is the standard to say?
4: There's a standard, um uh, well, most what is, uh, the, well, what I'm used to is the. Well, I can so when I when I when I've been paying attention to politicians, most of the time they uh, they congratulate themselves on their uh, on their moral victory, you know, and it's uh, ah okay. most half most of them are lying. So um, what, I'll <laughs> is, uh, what I'll say is, what uh, I'll say is, we got creamed, but that doesn't mean we weren't right.
2: That's right, amen. That's right, and you put in a good damn. Fight, man, I, I was there to witness both of you working your hearts out. But you know, we are in an uphill battle when you're standing on principles of things like slavery and human trafficking. Uh, people just can't wrap their heads around it. As I said in the beginning, with Harry Tubman and Frederick Douglass's issues. I think they can, Max.
0: I think if the uh, the argument is presented to them, and but when I look at Jackson, Mississippi, shout out to a uh, race treaty. Uh, Brother Anaj and and all the co-hosts part of that. But their last program Friday night, where the Malcolm X Grassroots Movement, which y'all do have a chapter there in South Carolina with uh, a sister of Fia Wangaza, but I don't know if she's involved in in the nationwide campaign where they lend assistance and organizing and how in Jackson, Mississippi, in the deep south um they were able to mobilize enough new voters among different demographics that they were able to elect uh uh Chukwe Lumumba, I want to say junior, but uh his father was uh died in office. Um and they run right. on, and they turned that into a human rights city. Um his father did and now uh, through a great uh, grassroots organization effort involving several organizations, with obviously enough time to plan and 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 you know make those connections in the community, they were able to uh, get him elected mayor. So uh, anything's possible. So I, I like you know we just had to reassess. Um, our battlefield plans and in what we could have, you know, done better and then come back at him the next time. I'm, I'm hoping to hear David tonight say this isn't his last, you know, run for office.
4: Well, um, what I can say is that, uh, this has been a whirlwind three months. We've been able to get, uh, a lot of, um, able to participate in forums in which, in each of them, I, I've been able to bring up ending prison slavery and specifically speaking about the 13th Amendment. The most recent example was um, when we were, I was able to participate in a broadcast that was on SETV that we taped on Thursday and was broadcast on Friday night, and the first question he asked, the, the, the Charles Bierbar asked was that, uh, what's your... Most important, what's the number one issue you're running on? And I talked about prison slavery and said my little sentence about it, and he said, what's that? And I said, exactly, and I explained. So um, yeah. I was able to over and over again make this issue something that um, I mentioned in various media and brought to light, and I was so honored to have both of you, uh, Max and Scotty, at our campaign office on Sunday to talk about this issue uh, for our campaign, and uh, it, was, it, was, it was wonderful to have you there. And um, In terms of uh, running for office again, uh, this was such a, 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 a sort of short-term whirlwind, not really planning on running, but ended up doing so that literally today is the first day that I haven't been running since I thought about running for the first time. So uh, mostly it was, it was me going out with my wife and having having beer. So uh, I haven't made any plans for the future.
2: <laughs> There's a lot of love in going out with a wife and having beer. <laughs> so
0: yeah. I, do, I do have a question Need for a little Greg. Little uh, Greg, um, now this was a special yes, election. Sir. Most of the national media has been focusing on the special election that was in Georgia uh, with that guy Jeff Osage right. or however you say its name. I wasn't really particularly invested in in that outcome. Um, But this was a special election in South Carolina in the 5th District, and the Republican won a land developer um, just right across the border from us here in in North Carolina. And so how long is this term for? So will it be, you know, up that seat up for reelection in 2020? So uh, next, roughly two and a half uh, years.
3: No, it'll be up in twenty eighteen. Twenty eighteen. Um, it'll be it'll be up in like a year and what is that? Three months or some such thing as that. Um, I, uh, you know, all right. So what we face is, to a certain extent, with these congressional campaigns is. I'm not making myself very clear here okay we had there were a lot of people who were backing the democratic candidate because they said they wanted someone who was more moderate than the republican choice because the republican choice is an extreme uh you know right wing trumper well if if these people who in who were backing the uh The Democratic candidate who won the Democratic Party nomination, um, if, if even five or ten percent of them had put their efforts behind the less extreme Republican running in that race, and I'm not suggesting he was a good choice either, but if they had, if they had put their backing behind the less extreme uh, Republican who came in second by literally 200 votes, to uh, to the, the man who won um, then there would be a more moderate person going to Congress. So I guess what I'm saying is the Democratic Party and the Republican Party are so entrenched and they have such a lock on people's imaginations at this point that um, breaking through that is just a real Tough nut to crack, but um, I will say this: not only abolition was not the only campaign issue that David ran on, and even on some of the other issues, which are the kinds of things that have been talked about for the last couple of years, things like you know reforming college education so everyone can afford to go to college, you know, free college education uh, you know, medical care treatment for everyone regardless of their ability to pay, things of this nature these, even these kinds of things, which to me are much less controversial than the question of prison slavery and, and human trafficking, even those things were the kinds of things that we were getting really severe push back on, people just telling us, you know no, there is no uh, there is no reason to believe that, uh, that human beings have a right to medical treatment, that that's not uh that's not American, that it's, that it's more American to let people die uh, from treatable illness and disease than it is to, uh, to, to help out a friend and a neighbor, and I think that's just wrong. I don't think that's an American value. I don't think that's what people believe, but people who vote believe that. The Democratic
2: that's and Republican parties have a strong hole right now in our country, and uh, we have third parties as you ran in the Green Party. But they're broke as hell. I mean, they're probably more broke than I am, you know? They have resources. (laughs) um, they They have resources and connections to media and stars, but you never see them pull any of those out of their hats. They have organizations that sit idle while campaigns like yours go on and need help. And I don't understand the lack of organization that's going on in this Green Party right now. The lack of direction, real direction, and I think they need something. And I can tell you this, don't hang up your election hats, because we are seriously and have been seriously considering starting our own party, where we'll have abolitionists running. That will be the primary focus, and we have a real agenda to get real things done other than just getting people elected. And that's where all the money goes in right now. Uh, The guy before David came in Was worth $8 million as far as I know This guy who just got elected Is a former uh, Goldman Sachs Accountant uh, traveling all over the country I mean what gives him The idea that he knows how to be a congressman Because he was a damn accountant He doesn't but he's got the money to back (laughs) him up And the party behind him To shovel funding And resources into their campaign Which basically drowns every other voice out and that was what we saw today. But we'll keep pounding at the door, and we're not here to play no games. When I say we're really considering talking about making our own party, if we have to do that, we'll do it.
4: Well,
3: um, well, I'm not I'm not going to argue with you. Go ahead, David.
4: What I was going to say is that um, I had a conversation on Monday with, which you can watch online, um, with uh, David Cobb. The former uh, he, he ran Jill Stein's campaign in 2016 he was also the presidential candidate for the Green Party in 2004 and when I was talking about prison slavery and I gave my little spiel that I usually do he at the end of it he said as a lawyer I just want to confirm what David's saying that yes the 13th amendment does in fact have an exception clause in it that lets us enslave prisoners and that we do use slave labor in this country. So the, it appears that there are Green Party members are aware of prison slavery. It's, uh, but clearly, um, I, I'm one of the few that is making it sort of central to a campaign as a Green Party member. So um, I, I don't, you, can, you can start any party you like. I, I would support you doing so. It just, um, the one thing I'll say is that uh, given the right pressure, the Green Party could serve as a vehicle for your guys' aims.
2: I, I see um, that. I see that happening right now. But, again, like I said, they don't want to make it official. It's, it, you know, they're just kind of handing it to people right. and go, do whatever you need to do. Uh, we're not going to say right. anything. We're not going to support what you're saying. You just go ahead and take this name, Green Party, and as long as you're bringing us voters, you can do whatever you want to do. And that's not Max. how you run a party. You, you need some oh, principles. Oh, sure. Well, Max, um, let me
0: look at it glass um, half full. That in itself is historic. I don't see any Democrats. I don't see any Republicans. I don't see any Libertarians. I don't see any Constitutional Party. Uh, endorsing uh, abolitionists or giving their party members freedom to to run on the abolitionist platform. Well, it, you know the DNC and RNC are are getting a lots of money from private prison corporations and, and other connected industries. So the very fact that the the Green Party, you know, uh, allowed David allowed Dimitri if I'm not mistaken, Dmitri ran on the Green Party ticket. And yeah, he was a fusion candidate. Yes, yes, yes. So, so I see progress, I see progress, and I'm looking at it in the context of we just did our five year anniversary, and prior to that, none of this was happening. So, taking a long view, right? I'm taking a long view, I'm gonna look at it glass half full now. If David or the Green Party, um, in the fifth district of South Carolina, even though I live, I don't live. In South Carolina, nothing can stop me from as an American citizen taking an interest in what happens there and and volunteer my resources and services in in the next abolitionist uh candidate and if that, that means that we need to organize as i mentioned earlier the malcolm x uh grassroots movement was was credited a lot I'm sure it was some local organizations involved in how they organized to elect elect a mayor. Um, from the black perspective uh on this issue you know we need to be going into these black churches and just having these con- conversations and and David admitted earlier that he only had what 3 months to really organize and plan right. because it was a short you know term turnaround between when he decided he wanted to run so if somebody else wants to st- step up they, they we have a year to get started now that that's so so I'm just a I'm not discounting anything max is saying all valid points max I just want to present the other side of it um you know the glass half full but also um any republicans democrats that listen to our program conservatives liberals you know for those people that's into those labels and we know that many of you count yourself abolitionists because you're in our groups on on Facebook move to right. abolish uh slavery so it is on you if you you know that's where your uh, political allegiance lies. What's stopping you as an activist from pushing your party to support it? It took a lot of pushing to get the uh Bernie Sanders and the Democrats to even introduce the uh um uh, uh what what was the name of that bill? Oh uh, Justice Is Not For Sale Justice Act. For sale. So I'm I'm just wanna be a glass half full at the same time so so that we can keep morale up because i'm very excited again uh uh, to be alive and part of the generations because this is a multi-generational effort young people middle age old people uh involved that's going to be the one that's going to end slavery for real in this country and starting with the 13th amendment removing that slavery exception clause
2: I'll ask the guest opinion on this, but let me just say, you know, uh, I'm not being negative about necessarily what the Green Party is doing. I'm saying this, and this is pretty clear in, in two ways. One, one, this is not the time to be half-stepping. Either go all in or get out. We, we, we're playing with people's lives and freedom, first of all. Uh, second of all, you know, I'm a poet, so let me put uh, an analogy in your brain. Just recently, Mike Brown's family received a settlement, an untold number of dollars. Let's say they decided to dedicate towards the abolitionist cause, and they said, you know what, here's a million dollars to do whatever you need to do. Would you take that million dollars and give it to the Green Party right now?
3: No. Exactly. (laughs) That's Greg. That's Greg saying that, the Green Party member. No.
4: Right, and I, I, I started laughing, so... Uh, obviously, <laughs> I wouldn't do that either. So, uh, l- can I address the um, yes the the critique of the Green Party that I share with you here?
2: Yes, so, please.
4: So, I defended I defended the Green Party. Now, let me provide my critique. So, Greg and I have spoken uh, numerous times in our the three months here, where we've been working very closely about how parties are tools. They are not um, they are not things with which to hone us in, but things which to allow us to get the work done. So, as we're all aware, the Republican and the Democratic parties, in their current forms, are tools for slavery to make slavery happen, continue, and to make millions and millions of dollars off of. The Green Party is a tool that we could use, but it is not a well-honed tool. It has people going, working at cross-purposes. It has a lack of a cogent organization, really. I mean, just it's, in the end, um, like, for what we've been, we, we were lucky to get some help from the National Party, but it was very late in coming in a very short election. So um, I was able to actually talk to Joe Stein and David Cobb but that all happened in the last week and a half of the campaign. Um, they did raise some money for, it, money, money for us uh, by putting out a, a press release or like a, um, an email blast, but that was literally the last weekend of the campaign. And I'm very grateful for all of those things, but we really needed them a month earlier at least. So, and we've been, and we were asking the whole time. We were asking for help the whole time. And they didn't really give us that early on enough to really help us when we needed it so um is the green party prepared for the abolition to to take the abolitionist cause and march uh in in march into the future with grand purpose no could it be maybe depends on what we what we for, what we ask it to do and what we demand of it uh, another party might do better, but anyway. So maybe be you, you Max, you're better, absolutely right uh, that it is not organized in a way to do what you 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 demand it to do. That is true, but I also think that it could be.
2: Maybe you'd be better and served running for a uh, leadership position in the party itself at this point, because somebody like you could give it direction.
4: Possibly. Well, you know, here's the deal: is um, the people on the left are like herding cats. Sometimes and there, there's a very fractious thing going on in various online Facebook Green Party groups about whether or not supporting something like Bernie Sanders is something a Green Party should or should not do. Is should the Green Party expand to allow in disaffected Democrats, or should it be a straightforward leftist socialist party that is uh, bound and determined to maintain its purity? I mean, this is just an argument among rank and file Greens. There's also the problem of that it basically doesn't raise money consistently for local in local chapters and in states to have sort of a continuous, regular, uh, organizational structure that can be used then when people put campaigns forward. I mean, this is the part of having a third party when the system is designed to literally strip the Green Party every election after it's over. Of any power that it gained through the election, so you know there are some states where we can keep maintain ballot access, but others not, so you're constantly having to work to maintain the green Party is even existing at all, which would be the same trouble you would have with an abolitionist party so it's it's uh, there are a lot of difficulties that are. Self-created, but they're also ones that are designed by the system, by the Democrats and the Republicans to fuck the rest of us to make sure that they hold on to their power, and thereby, one of the effects of that is continuing slavery. Exactly,
2: exactly. I, I love you, David. You were just right to the point. You don't play around, man. And I, I can relate with that for sure. Um, your suggestions are good, and I would... S- suggest that you don't give up this opportunity where you have drawn some attention from the Green Party. Maybe look towards uh, becoming one of those leading voices giving it direction. Uh, I've been saying it for years Scotty's been saying it, that you know this cause right here, if you take it seriously could do everything you need, it, need to get done. This cause right here because it will be a ripple effect. I Once you question. take that exception clause out boom, everything else falls after that. I have
0: a question of uh, just doing some follow-up and and just reviewing this election and, and listening to the input information I didn't have before. So I, I want to ask, though, again, um, me st- sticking with the theme of organizing, organizing, organizing on the local level, organizing the 5th District. So – did the black lives matter chapter down there now I may be mistaken is charleston in that district i'm not sure
4: uh no charles charleston is not in the district
0: okay um and i'm just assuming that any local naacp or or other similar type organizations with with the democrats right
4: basically um, i think we got a few we got we got a few individual supporters okay um but uh I mean it, the, one of the hard things to measure is well we got two hundred and forty two votes out of eighty seven thousand cast. So but the one thing we can't measure is well I was getting most of the applause and all of those NAACP forms and not, so they may have agreed with us, but they were very good about party discipline. So we can't I don't know how we can we can't really measure my support based upon the votes. Right. But the votes are pretty paltry
0: right but we can't public. uh, we can gauge public uh reaction to the abolitionist message just from no samplings because you gave a speech somewhere else in another forum where um you know on the abolitionist um, message is resonating with those who hear it so again glass half full and looking at these as seeds that's being planted now that could you know grow into a localized abolitionist movement in that area of South Carolina of uh, the uh, I'm sorry Greg you were trying to speak and I was talking over you
3: no 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 you're absolutely fine Scotty no problem um uh you gentlemen both and, and David also knows um Bruce Dixon um in uh, in Georgia, right? Yes. The editor of Black yes. Agenda Report. Okay. Yes. Um one of and he's a member of the Green Party as well. One of the things that's that he is um encouraging and uh and trying to make happen is <clears throat> establishing the Green Party as a mass membership-based organization. And what he, his position basically is, there is no place on the planet where you have a mass, uh, where you have a, a, a revolutionary organization, if you will, okay, um, which is not mass-based dues-paying. Because the Green Party right now, for example, and the same is true of the Democratic, Republican, Libertarian, it doesn't matter which party you're talking about, their membership, quote unquote membership, is however many people are registered to vote as members of their party, okay, for which they get zero dollars, or the people who sign up and pay dues to become members. So, for example, in South Carolina, you cannot register as a Green. You can only register as a voter. So our membership, as small as it is, is people who've done $25 out of their pocket and put it on the table and said, I want to be a member and I want to vote that comes with that membership. So what we need to do now, I think Bruce is suggesting, and I am inclined to agree with him, is we need to begin to establish the Green Party as a mass membership-based, Dues-paying organization, so that when an injustice happens, we can not just go to the street and complain. We can perhaps hire a lawyer. We can perhaps get advertisements on the radio. We can perhaps hire five people to go door-to-door with petitions. You know, but none of these things can be done when you have no money. Number one, and number two when you're depending on people to step forward as individuals with a substantial investment, you know, okay, here, you give $1,000, you give $500, you give $200. Well, when those people who give that $1,000, that $500, that $200, disagree with what the candidate's doing, guess what, that money disappears. You know. Because they, but if the party is making those, if the party is making those investments,
0: then that money can't disappear because it's coming from the party, not from individuals. Yeah, I tend to kind of agree. That's pretty much how I've tried to sustain the media operations of the Black Talk Media Project, which manages the Black Talk Radio Network. And so the challenge is getting people to give. So I'm finding that you have to offer them something. Um, You have to pretty much, like we've established BTR Community, which is a Facebook-like social media uh, platform for $24 a year. That's $2 a month. So as that increase and grows, you know, that that is pro- could provide potentially a substantial revenue source for uh, the organization. So whether it's a political organization or or a media education organization like what what we run, I tend to agree. And then, you know, when you're looking at using the terms like mass membership, You can use mass media. I believe I heard, I think it was David that was talking about, you know, putting a piece of paper in people's hands. And and you mentioned, you know, uh, hiring people to go door to door and and engage the public. Um, I hate to promote them, but Facebook makes it pretty easy and relatively affordable to even target people on that platform by their zip code. So, there are... That's true. We have tools, and, and, you know, if we can refine the strategies and, and redirect money towards those efforts, then I, I don't see why Bruce, uh vision uh, could not work, you know, as a party.
3: I agree. But it's just, you know, it's just stepping forward and uh, doing it one step at a time. And, and I, you know... So I, I want to I tell y'all just a couple of real quick things, and, and I know this is kind of tooting David's horn a little bit, and I know that he doesn't necessarily want me to toot his horn, but it, it's important for everyone who's listening to understand this. When David was talking with the NAACP, yes, he raised this issue, but that's not the only place he raised it. He raised it everywhere, okay? when he When he spoke to a group of 20 or so people from the South Carolina Realtors Association because they're, you know, they do that, they interview candidates and decide who they're gonna support or who they're not going to support or whatever. That was one of the issues he talked about. And one of the last things he did was attend a meet and greet at a country club, okay, at a country club. And he's given 10 minutes to stand in front of these country club people and he says, we need to abolish prison slavery. We need to stop human trafficking, okay? had literature with him about it, and at least one man, David, told me, picked up the literature. Okay? So these are, I mean, this is, I'm assuming, I wasn't there, a crowd full of white faces, but we both, we all know that white faces wind up in jail too, just not at the same ratios. And uh, and so just the just the idea that everywhere we went, everyone we spoke with, Every forum we got to, we stuck with those four issues and the overarching, overarching theme of money and politics and how it damages everything. Um, listen, I don't want to say... I don't, moral victories mean relatively little. There's not a single congressperson in Congress because they've got a moral victory. Okay, you got to frickin' win. But it is a building process.
2: Yes, you're absolutely right, man And one of the things that I know we need to do Is we, you mentioned the NAACP and him talking to them Is we've got to get those minority organizations Away from the suckling at the breast of the Democratic Party The D- DNC does not have our interests in mind As a matter of fact, they are responsible for some of the worst human rights tragedies That this nation has ever seen and i'm talking about the omnibus crime bill 1994 for example just as one example so we got to get these people away from uh voting against their own self interest and supporting organizations because of party lines that are literally killing their people and uh it, we that's one of the things that we have to do is get them away so the the uh NAACP has to get in on this conversation about the 13th amendment. The uh ACLU has to get in on this conversation about the 13th amendment. What else were you built for? And if the people yeah. you're supporting aren't talking about it, then you need to be with the people who are. I just want to And, wanna, and th- that will make a huge difference. I want to
0: piggyback on what Max just said and this is um uh, one of the stories that I had chosen for tonight and that's Kamala Harris is getting a lot of media press a lot, whether it is uh mainstream media whether it's pop media you know uh uh those websites that don't really focus seriously on politics but popular culture and she's getting a lot of press and, and in Kamala Kamala Harris the uh Democratic Senator out of California and, you know, I had to ask a couple of those pub- publications through on Twitter, why are you promoting a woman who supports 21st century slavery and human trafficking as uh, when she was the California Attorney General? And see, and then when I hear, when I participate in a Color of Change call, because sometimes I get invited to those calls Uh, I don't I've never paid them any dues or anything like that. But they they send me information, invite me to calls and stuff. And Cory Booker was on there right, you know, prior to the 2016 election talking up Hillary Clinton. And those guys on there was talking up Cory Brown. I mean, just to suck up the power was kind of making me sick. And I just mainly was was listening. I I didn't I didn't have anything to say because I knew who I was dealing with. And Cory Booker is not an abolitionist candidate, and he is pretty much a DNC establishment candidate. So you know I'm gonna put the color of change name out there. And Max, you were speaking earlier. We also need to get them, get people, these groups to stop suckling at the. Um, uh, the political correctness of using the term mass incarceration it is not mass incarceration it is slavery mass incarceration is only confusing people tell the truth about what it is the fact is while while uh, masses of people are affected by this this issue of slavery in, the, in this country the vast majority of American citizens uh, have not been enslaved and, and probably never will be but when you're talking about cycling what almost two million a year you know that that adds up that's slavery that's targeting certain people for slavery and it's always been that way so i just want to piggyback on what you said we do have a call from one of our uh faithful listeners uh otis did uh chiming in from virginia did you want to chime in Uh, Otis, you just muted yourself. Um, So anybody that wants to, there you go. Uh,
2: Go ahead, Otis. I was saying, I'm just listening, man, learning, learning. Proud of your work. Kudos to, to David, too, for, it was only 240 votes, but like you said, you put the message out there.
4: Thanks, sir.
3: All right. Well, I want to yes, mention one of the thing, and then I'm, I promise I'm going to hush up for the rest of the show. Um, one, <laughs> David laughs. One of, the, uh, one of the things that has happened just in the last few, well, it may have been earlier, and I wasn't aware because I was paying so much attention to, to our campaign, to David's campaign. But um, I don't know whether you folks have heard it or not, um, but Police Browder's uh, brother is going to be running for the uh, city council, or is running for city council in New York He's City. He's running for mayor. Uh, for mayor. I'm mayor. sorry my bad, running for mayor, uh with the Green Party in New York City. So the uh the I am excited that uh black people who want important fundamental change are seeing the Green Party as a a way to do that uh just as as white radicals uh have been doing for the last you know fifteen years or twenty years. And and it really isn't It really isn't a brand-new phenomenon. I mean, Rosa Clemente is is, as radical as they come, you know, and she's a Green.
2: I don't know if they're seeing the Green Party as the answer more so as the only other option, literally a monopoly. You're either going to go Republican, Democrat, or Green Party. Uh, I think there's something called a Libertarian Party, but nobody hears anything about that anymore since Ross Perot. But pretty much that's the only other option they've got. So they've got to take it. And if they've got to take it, they're coming in and trying to remake it in their image, the way that it should be, like uh, Akeem Browder is doing, and like the the lady out of Seattle you just mentioned is doing, and like David is doing. Just taking the opportunity to have somewhere to be able to put your your, your ideals on the table, you know?
4: Well, uh, what I can say, let me me say that... uh, the difference between the Greens and the other parties you list is that the Green Party because it is a mass movement grassroots-based party the purpose of the party is to do exactly what you just described which is to mold itself in the image of the people that take it up its mantle I mean there are there are the pillars and things I've mentioned which the issues we're describing here today, and on your sh- that you do weekly on your show, are ones that fully fit within the green ideology and values as an issue to push forward. So uh... the green party as a vehicle for this is uh, is a hand in glove. Um, but <clears throat> oh, I just want to mention that the so when I spoke at one of the end both of the NECP forms that I got the opportunity to participate in. Uh, The second one, which uh, had the larger audience, that um, when I did my talking about ending prison slavery, the moderator stopped, uh, said, let's give David a round of applause for that. And then I got the biggest applause of the night was that. And it said so in the newspaper the next day. So the the fact (laughs) that the, the people in the audience who are Members of the NAACP, your rank and file, and all the other people, they recognize the issue. They are aware of what we're describing. They are familiar with framing it as in the context of slavery. It strikes me that maybe the organization itself might be afraid of trying to handle it that way in the larger political arena, which is why we should all be pushing on them to do so. And they're
0: under new uh, leadership, I may add.
2: Yes, we should be pushing to do so We can win in this way Because we have the Constitution As the ultimate proof Of everything that we're saying right there It's something we can win I mean, uh, abolition is a legal act So there's some foundation We can work with right there And if you're just talking about You know, gossamer ideals There's no foundation to work on I mean, how do you abolish Mass incarceration? (laughs) You know, it just doesn't fit the, The sentence so when they start really considering What we're saying I mean really considering it In truth, they'll see that we have The stronger position than they do I Remember when Jill Scott, uh, Stein Spoke with, I believe it was uh, Jeff Hodges I believe it was Jeff Hodges uh, Out in Jaws of, uh, Jaws of Justice And he asked her directly About the 13th Amendment And uh, modern slavery and human trafficking And she was very agreeable Oh wow I didn't know that the 13th Amendment had an exception clause, she said. I'll have to think further on that and look more into into details on it. And that was all she said. She didn't ask him any questions, being exposed to it for the first time, according to her own rhetoric. She had no questions whatsoever. She just went on what she was talking about previously. And we haven't heard a word from her since. (laughs) You know, so...
4: Well, I talked to her specifically about that issue on, on... Thursday so she seemed to to take it well
2: this was the second time at least that somebody's addressed that to her so I'm wondering when she uh, as one of the party leaders will come out and say you know what <laughs> people are right we should go ahead and embrace this ideal because freedom is worth about abolishing slavery to have <laughs> But you know, I, I, I ramble at this point. <clears throat> it's coming up on our nine o'clock hour. Our first break. Before that, I want to give you guys a continue this the chance to say whatever else you want to say. Uh, what do you, what is for the future for both of you? Um, how do you feel right now? And uh, what just, whatever, just whatever you well, feel like. Max, um I
0: do have I do have a, a message, a email from a new abolitionist radio uh, listener, uh, Mr. James writes in he says mass incarceration is only half the issue they are locking up locking people up and selling out their labor so thank you for um, that input from James new abolitionist radio listener
2: yes he's talking about Um, prison slave labor
4: so um, the one thing I just want to say to, to sort of speak to the issue and we've been talking about is that in twenty fifteen the um Representative Joe Neal, who died earlier this year, who's a well known uh African American preacher and member of the South Carolina legislature and uh one of the founders or, or one of the like leaders of the South Carolina Progressive Network, um, he said in twenty fifteen that what's going on in our prisons is modern day slavery. So the concept of talking about this as slavery is something that is not only in sort of uh, the the sort of burgeoning abolitionist, abolitionist movement, the 21st century abolitionist movement. So the the concept is there. It's just building from that seed into these places that are purposefully designed to maintain it, right? It's
2: yes, sir. Other- uh, as a matter of fact, uh, uh, Supreme Court Justice Sotomayor just uh, I think it was last year or 2015 warned that America was turning into a prison state and that's coded language for slavery's coming back.
4: Yeah.
3: Well, I Yeah, I'm just going to say um I'm just going to say thank you um to David and to uh to Scotty to, to Max um, to Otis, uh, to to Everett, because I know Otis was was with us the last time we were on the show. Um, you know, this is this is just it's it's a. Uh, I mean, what else are you going to do, people? You know, you're gonna you're gonna sit down and watch TV, or you're gonna you're gonna you know go to see a movie, and and I mean, I listen, I watch TV and I go to movies too. I understand all that, but a part of your day, every day, has to be set aside for fighting for freedom and justice. And if you can't find time every day to do a little bit of that, rethink things. Maybe you're spending too much time on something else.
2: That's me standing up and applauding both of you, gentlemen. You are absolutely <laughs> right. You're absolutely right. You know, you mentioned how you've been talking to people about this issue now for the past three months that you went in. Uh I suspect now that you are a full fledged abolitionist, you'll be talking about it for years to come or until slavery ends because this is what I do all the time. You know, I'm not running for office. I'll be at the laundromat oh, wow. or at the store and like, wow. hey, did you know that the 13th Amendment, had, you know, that's me all the time. I will. Well, also-
4: Max, well, we'll say, well, let me say this one thing is that we will also be talking about it once we've ended it to make sure it never happens again. Right.
2: right. Yes. Yes, set some soldiers in place to make sure that it never raises its ugly, demonic head again. And that was our biggest mistake, is we never put anybody on guard. We just assumed that because so many people had been freed, that slavery was over. And we totally forgot those who had now been offered a new label called Criminal. Um, I want to take
0: this opportunity. We got about three minutes to our station identification break, but invite uh, Greg and David uh, to this abolitionist powwow we hope to uh, have, well will have, not hope to have, but will have in Washington, ah. D.C. in front of the White House in Lafayette Park on August the 19th. The millions for uh Millions for prisoners, human rights, uh, march and rally that occur on that day again. That's going to be at Lafayette uh, Park and invite anybody in the listening audience. You know um, um, the host of Cold Breakers. They were on last night and they live in the DC area and they definitely uh, want to come down and and meet up with myself and Max. So um, anybody who's able, uh, please make your way. Make your plans now uh for August the 19th um again all of this matters we we live in we write in history right now so um when they write about this you know in the annals of, of history you know your ancestors your future generations might one day be able to point back to you as abolitionists, abolitionist just as much as we point to the Frederick Douglass's and the Harriet Tubman's and and the Beecher Stoll's. So, um, yeah, I want to thank you guys uh, again and extend that invitation.
2: I agree, Scotty, and I I would double that invitation because your testimony of your experience here in South Carolina as a person running for Congress on an abolitionist Platform would be invaluable as part of the conversation we're presenting.
4: Oh, thank you. Uh, well, as I don't I told speak you, for
3: David. Go ahead.
4: Uh, well, go, we can go ahead and speak first if you want, Greg.
3: I was just going to say I won't speak for David, but I intend to be here.
4: What I'll, when got when to I, what I, mean as I told side. <laughs> as um, as I told you, Max on on Sunday, well, I'll, I'll reiterate is that um. I've been very busy on the campaign and uh I haven't made any plans but as you know like uh, like you all like you all I am not a I'm not a uh I'm I'm just I'm a musician and teacher that uh, does not make very much money so I have not had the time to look into uh, whether or not I can afford the trip to Washington in August I would like to be there but I have to uh actually take the time to do the research and I have not had that time yet because running for Congress takes a lot of time
2: Well, Greg is riding with me, as well as Scotty Reed and Johanan Elia and Tribal Rain, and maybe one or two others. We're going to rent a nice, big, large van or bus. Uh, If you're interested, you and your wife coming and traveling alongside with us, uh, we can work that out, and it would probably be less costly than if you went alone.
4: All right. Well, then we'll, we'll talk about that off air.
2: There you go <laughs> There you go And that goes for all my friends and family out there You know, we can get two buses if we need to You know what I mean? Come on out to Washington, D.C. with Maximus Parthus, Scotty Reed, Johanna and Crystal Crystal Roundtree And so many other abolitionists today Who are there to end modern day slavery And trafficking I want to say thank you, Greg and David For being here on our program tonight New Abolitionist Radio I know you will be back again And we look forward to hearing from you Very
3: soon in the future
4: Listen every week, brother. Thank you, gentlemen.
2: You're listening to New Abolitionist Radio. That was our guest, Greg DeCoy and David Comer. We'll be right back after these messages.
0: Black Talk Media Project launched the digital radio platform Black Talk Radio Network, the first such platform created to serve the Black community specifically. Black Talk Radio Network has grown with a variety of radio hosts, digital radio stations, and podcasters. Web analytics say Black Talk Radio, the platform, has an online reach that ranks it among the top independent black media platforms in the world. All of this is possible because of financial contributions to the nonprofit Black Talk Media Project. If you love the work we do and the voices and perspectives we bring to you every day. Make a donation today to ensure that Black Talk Radio is here in the future. Black Talk Radio is new black media for the new millennium.
2: Welcome back to New Abolitionist Radio with Max Parker Scotty Reed. Han and Elias is MIA for a while uh, but he will return. Probably you'll hear from him in Washington, D.C. We will be side by side for the upcoming March there for prisoners' rights and human rights. Uh, Scotty, do you have any stories that you particularly want to cover today? I know you've been talking about Kamala Harris and also about uh, the guy whose name tastes nasty on my tongue, Sheriff David Clark. Uh, Is there any living representative of Uncle Ruckus or Stephen from Django? That, man, is it. I've never seen such a self-hating black man in my entire life. He um, burn us all down.
0: um, You know, in in my work as a journalist I do take it serious and, and gathering intelligence on people who I have identified as enemies of freedom. And proponents of slavery. And he's been on my list for a very long time. So I follow them on social media. And, you know, they talk a lot about how Trump loves to tweet. And and it's even gotten him into trouble and, and what have you now in his position as CEO of USA Inc. Well, David Clark um, tweets a lot, too. And so I follow him, man. And ironically, you know, you mentioned Uncle Ruckus. And for those that uh, have never watched, um, what was what was the name of that? Boondocks. Yeah, boom, uh, boondocks. boondocks, right? And so if you don't know what he's talking about, you're talking about a, a melanated person, in this case a black person, who goes hard for the system of racism and white supremacy. And that would be David Clark as a, a sheriff of, of Milwaukee County. And and so he was on Twitter just recently talking about how the Democrats don't care about black people. And I had to point out to him that, hey, it was just last year you was calling Black Lives Matter, those young people part of that organization, you were calling them scum and saying that they should be eradicated. And this was published in the Op-Ed in The paper of record in Washington, D.C., which is The Hill. The Hill gave this man a platform to spew that anti-American rhetoric where he was even calling for citizens, hey, if Black Lives Matter or any, you know, uh, come to your town like it can't be, you know, uh, uh, um, uh, organic, local chapter that has sprung up to protest these issues uh, of police violence uh, uh, and, and injustice. You know, he's saying that if they come to your town, push them out, which is pretty much calling for violence. Pretty much the same thing that we saw Donald Trump do here in North Carolina at a couple of his campaigns and encouraging um, the um, attendees to to throw out uh, people who were peacefully protesting. And so, I mean, this is just so anti-American. And then he was also talking about the U.S. Constitution and and being a patriot and all of that. And that's why I was talking about, you know, uh, forget constitutional right to water. You know, uh, uh, Mr. Thomas had a right to live. In your jail, that baby that died on your nasty jail floor because the guards and the deputies refused to get this woman uh, medical help as she went into labor as a result, giving birth in that jail uh, cell, and this baby dying as a result. So don't tell me. You know, oh, oh man, I could don't let me get on my soapbox about this guy, okay? And so again, that's why I'm saying it was good news and it was a victory. I mean, you really had to be going hard, going um, you really had to be toxic politically for the Trump administration to turn you down. So he fronting like he's withdrawn his um 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 offer. You know, the job offer, which the Trump administration never said that you were getting this position. You came out and said this. So um, I'm sure it was some talks behind the scenes. So now he's publicly saying, oh, he's not going to take take the job. That's a victory. Now they trying to run this guy for Senate uh, uh, in Wisconsin. Trying There's some super PACs that has been floating that ideal. So this is one of the most dangerous slavers in the country has no regard for human rights, let alone some constitutional rights. And we had to confront these people. We we really, really do. So so um but Kamala Harris. Tim Wise the other day said that and 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 Evette Carnell of Breaking Brown brought this to my attention that uh uh Tim Wise who we've had, you know, um let's say disagreements over the use of the word nigger uh, and, and constitutionally, I wrote an article about it and then he attacked Black Talk Radio Network when I said I disagree with him saying that people have a constitutional right to run up to black people and, and call them niggers on the public street. And I cited cases where, you know, that's an incitement to violence. Uh, I, I think they call it fighting words is it, it, the uh, uh, Supreme Court ruling on, on that. And, and so um, but Tim Wise is putting out Kamala Harris as a potential presidential candidate for 2020. And as I mentioned, you know, mainstream media, whether it is uh, 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 popular culture or whether it's these news cable news shows have been really trying to pump up the image of Kamala Harris because she had um, uh what u.s attorney general jeff sessions say oh you making me nervous and that turns into a meme and and you know all it's on on all the leftist media and they laughing and making a joke and saying oh you go sister girl and and all of that when just in her prior job she was arguing to the supreme court who had ruled that california needed to to ease this overcrowding Uh, in this prisons because it was a violation of the Constitution. Um, I'm not sure which amendment uh, against inhumane conditions and, and what have you. So, you know, when the U.S. Supreme Court calls you out for inhumane conditions, I mean, that happens so rarely. You really had to be running a very uh dangerous uh prison operation, prison slavery operation. But what did Kamala Harris and I think Jerry Brown was the governor? These are Democrats. Um instead of them um letting out like elderly people who have a very low recidivism rate instead of letting out nonviolent violent people who were in their own marijuana possession charges, even though you've legalized medicinal marijuana for quite some time, instead of letting those people out, what do they do? They contract with the GEO group. And we got advanced notice of that ahead of any public announcements because we were doing our intelligence gathering work and we were listening in to the GEO groups Uh, Annual uh, earnings calls. It's not annual. What is it? Quarterly, quarterly earning calls that they have. And and so we heard them say that they, you know, just the news media just reported, you know, what the Supreme Court ruled. And then next we hear George Zoli and the boys talking about they got an opportunity coming up in California. And so instead of letting people out of prison slavery, they contract with the GEO group To just trans ease overcrowding like that. And one of the arguments that was made by Kamala Harris's Attorney General's office of why they did not want to let people out, and this is public record, is because they didn't want to lose their cheap labor pool. That's slavery, people. And then we got the gullible masses through the media programming buying into, because Tim Wise said it. Because whatever popular media you subscribe to that's targeting different groups, oh, she is the she gon she's the one. She gonna be that woman to break the glass ceiling, and and you just not you just ignoring the fact that this woman is a 21st century slaver. It's on the public record. I ain't mean to get on that soapbox, but those are my stories, Max. That I wanted to share. You're
2: right, brother. Uh, First of all, uh, Kamala Harris, uh, when you say she's 21st century slavery, you're right. She's being pushed into the forefront as a spokesperson for her party. That's it, because she's kept towing the party line. But when she had the opportunity to do something about prison, slave labor, she came up with an excuse. And the excuse was, we cannot afford not to use 4,000 Men, women, and children To fight these dangerous Forest fires At less than $2 a day Because if we did It would cost the state of California A billion dollars in revenue Not only is she pointing at The motive The motive behind using this prison Slave labor But she's also declaring Her intentions to do absolutely Nothing about it So you're right on that And uh, David Clark One of the things that I want to point out about David Clark Because you've mentioned enough Just one thing He is right now An in-uniform sheriff Saying all of these disgusting Genocidal Criminal things That is inciting violence and hate Like Scotty said He literally said that Black Lives Matter Or black lies matter As he calls it Should be eradicated This is the type of thing you expect to hear From somebody in Nazi Germany In 1944 Not in 2017 In the United States of America And in the city In which he is a sheriff Over that county Not only the crime Scotty pointed out But just being a black person In that city A black male in particular Means that you have more than A one in two chance Of spending time in prison Before you're 30 years old Now what City or state or Anywhere would you allow that type Of incarceration to go on And it not be a part of national news So yeah I'm with you On both of those Scotty On both of those More than one in two Well, there's a couple of other stories that we can cover. You know, Scotty, I was doing some research yesterday and I listened to a a video of an expert speaking a former federal prosecutor and she has written a book called License to Lie Exposing Corruption in the Department of Justice She exposes crimes against humanity Uh, She exposes rampant And institutional Constitutional violations Happening every single day She talks about the uh, Corruption between prosecutors And corporate Interests as well as Private interests I mean she lays it all out on the line But she does it on behalf of the People who were prosecuted That worked with Enron (laughs) It's a little ironic That we got a federal prosecutor Willing to spill the beans On everything that's going on Within the prosecutorial system But on behalf Of these people who were prosecuted Wrongly according to her uh, That worked for these Fortune 500 companies Every single day In this country We have people who are Railroaded into prisons By the tens of thousands 13,000 people went to jail today Just for example Just today and her concerns is with the rich and the semi-rich and what's happening to them. And she doesn't give a damn that it's happening to everybody else all the time. Well, they got uh, like a hour-long tell,
0: video. Um, yes. Um, I thought it might. Yes, it's an hour
2: trip. and a half long. If you want to yeah. pay like five minutes of it, just the intro is enough to to really. Well, I, work I could you do that, but I want to
0: point out before I do that, this is at an event sponsored by the Cato Institute, which I, I I um believe they are like one of those right wing think tanks. Um, um, yes. I think Cato is also involved in education. If I'm not mistaken, but the name is very familiar with me. But this is. Again, the type of uh, organizations that create super PACs and, and work with the Koch brothers to write slavery legislation, model slavery legislation, and, and have state representatives come in and, and get taught how to present this to the people and go back to your state and sell it. And this is how uh, uh, more and more people get enslaved. So, um, yeah, this is uh, the opening. Uh, this is uh, featuring author Sidney Powell, um with Alex Kozinski, Chief Judge, U.S. Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit, uh, and Ronald Weich, Dean, University of Baltimore Law School, moderated by Tim Lynch. But we're going to listen to first five minutes of it, License to Lie, Exposing Corruption in the Department of Justice.
5: Good and welcome to the Cato Institute. My name is Tim Lynch. I'm the director of Cato's Project on Criminal Justice and today we want to examine some distressing legal trends uh, that are at work in the criminal law area. Our guest speaker today, Sydney Powell, has just written a new book entitled License to Lie, Exposing Corruption in the Department of Justice. And the book recounts uh, several cases in which ambitious prosecutors used illegal and unethical tactics uh, to win their cases. Now before we get to our panel of experts,
0: uh, well, Max, give me an opportunity to uh, restate this. They are right wing, the Cato Institute, but they are the libertarian variety. And libertarians were brought up. Uh, libertarians have actually run pretty strong here in North Carolina, and they have ballot access. I actually voted for Gary Johnson. I believe that was in the 2012 election on the anti-drug war. plank of their platform, which we know is a tentacle or a tool used to uh, put people into 21st century slavery and human trafficking, but also, as we um, have talked about, the the upcoming, which seems to be uh, likely to happen, the Convention of States, and where they want to reinterpret and rewrite the Constitution, amend it, and how we have talked about You know there there could be some common ground in that room, and abolitionists have to be in that room. Number one, why would you not be in that room? You're just going to stand outside with a sign in your hand while the Constitution is changed, which then becomes the law of the land and will be enforced by slave catchers. So um, whoever here is the
2: anniversary of the uh, Constitution becoming the law of the land today. uh, So there you go. But I do see some common
0: abolitionist uh, inroads to be made into the Libertarian Party. Um, um, You know, because they're against mass incarceration and and all of that. And I followed them through Ron Paul for, uh, since his first uh, run for president in 2008. And so they do have a plank in terms of what they call criminal justice that I think um, doesn't go far enough in calling for abolition, but Well, Ron Paul has said that he would have abolished the DEA and um, pardoned everybody in there on the nonviolent, in federal prison for nonviolent drug crimes. So I just see some common ground there uh, uh, with abolitionism and uh, some of the things libertarians stand for. Uh,
5: I want to take just a minute or two to lay something of a foundation for the discussion that's going to follow. But before I do that, let me ask those of you who came with cell phones, if you'd just take a moment now to quickly double check and make sure that they are turned off uh, as a courtesy to our speakers. Yeah, it includes our panelists yeah. with that. <laughs> Okay, thank you. The first point that I think needs to be understood is that there has been incredible growth in the federal criminal system over the past 30 years. In 1980, there were about 1,500 uh, federal prosecutors. Today, there are close to 8,000. Second, there has also been an explosion in the number of federal crimes that are on the books. We know that there are about 4,000 federal statutes uh, uh, on the books right now. But when you take into account all of the federal regulations that are churned out by the regulatory agencies. We're talking about tens of thousands of more regulations that can be enforced through our criminal system. I thought there was a telling moment at the Supreme Court just a few years ago. Uh, A representative from the Department of Justice was up before the justices, and he was explaining the scope of just one of these federal statutes. And uh, as he was explaining the scope, he was interrupted by one of the justices. I think it was Justice Stephen Breyer. And and Stephen Breyer said, just a second, I think there's about uh, 200 million Americans in the workplace. And according to your definition of the honest services uh, criminal statute, about 150 million Americans fall on the wrong side of that line. (laughs) And this was a point where the attorney from uh, the Solicitor General's office, he kind of hemmed and hawed. He didn't really deny the point. Now consider that for just a moment. Uh, In the eyes of the federal government, we have 150 million Americans that they consider to be criminals. And that's just one of these federal criminal statutes. As I said, there are thousands more. The spider web of regulations is now so vast that it's really hard for an ordinary citizen to go about their lives uh, without breaking some rule or regulation. Uh, and, and, you know, This is just not the same America that, that we grew up with. A lot of us in this room, I think, can remember an expression when we were growing up. It said something like, you know, let's not make a federal case out of it. But that expression is really losing its force given the growth of our federal criminal code. Now, we also have to worry about situations where people have actually not violated any one of these rules and regulations, but have nevertheless been targeted by, let's say, an unethical federal prosecutor. The lives of these people are turned upside down. Uh, Their businesses fail, uh, their families are shattered, uh, and their life savings ends up going to uh, attorneys and law firms that are trying to defend them. As a matter of fact, uh, their own attorneys often advise them to plead guilty even when they have met with their client and are convinced that they are innocent. A lot of people say, how can that be? Why why would that happen? These attorneys will argue that the alternative is even worse. Uh, It's too risky. Uh, We're talking about complete bankruptcy if you don't plead guilty early in the process, because the case will drag on. More money going to the attorneys and uh, even a a longer jail sentence if the jury chooses to believe uh, the prosecutor rather than their version of events. So these are some of the problems uh, that our panelists will be addressing, along with some specific cases. Uh, Our format is going to be straightforward. Our guest author is going to go first and speak on the thesis of her book. I will then introduce our guest commentators. And after their remarks, we will then open it up and take your questions for about 15 minutes before we adjourn for a luncheon upstairs. Okay, Sidney Powell uh, served in the Department of Justice for 10 years uh, under US attorneys that were appointed by both political parties. During her career in the department, she taught courses on criminal trials and appeals to other prosecutors at the Attorney General's Advocacy Institute. She has been the lead counsel in more than 500 appeals in the federal courts. And for the past 20 years, she's been in private practice representing clients ranging from federal judges to international corporations. She's been repeatedly rated by her peers as one of the best lawyers in America, so she is well qualified to discuss prosecutorial ethics. So, would you please welcome the author of License to Lie, Sidney Powell?
6: Thank you all very much. Thank you, Tim, and I want to thank the Cato Institute for hosting this event. It's very much appreciated. Thank Judge Kaczynski for joining us and also Ron Weich. This is a a very auspicious occasion. I think I'm going to start with the foreword to the book. It is written by one of our panelists. Judge Kaczynski was kind enough to write that for me because the issues discussed in the book are fundamental to the fairness of our legal system. The main premise underlying the book is that prosecutors have an ethical and legal and constitutional obligation to disclose evidence that is favorable to the defense. There are legal reasons for it. The Supreme Court held in Brady versus Maryland that it's a constitutional obligation, fundamental to due process. And then as a practical matter, prosecutors have all the cards they are the usually the or their representatives the agents the police officers whoever are the first people on the scene if there is an immediate crime or they're the ones that who have who have conducted an investigation into allegations to begin with or put together all the pieces to charge a crime they have control of the evidence they have control of the forensics they have control of the expert witnesses And in the cases discussed in the book, they had even more control than that. One of my challenges today will be to uh, talk to you about the book without uh, spoiling any of it for you, because I do want you all to read it. It's written like a legal thriller. I wanted people to be able to read it who are not attorneys, and and for attorneys also to find it interesting and be held by it so that you can continue reading all of it. But it is all true. It contains real transcript excerpts. One person recently asked me if I had embellished. He said he was giving me about 10% leeway to embellish for the sake of you know, making it interesting. And I said, I hate to tell you, I actually toned it down. It's not embellished. So with that in mind, um, there are a number of things from the book that I, I will share with you. Robert H. Jackson was one of our great Supreme Court justices, and as Attorney General, he gave a speech on April 1, 1940, that has been enshrined in legal history. He talked about the special role of a federal prosecutor and how important it is for that prosecutor to seek justice and not convictions. He explained that at its best— a prosecutor is one of the most beneficent forces in our society, but at his worst, he is one of the worst, because he has such complete control over what can happen to an individual and so such broad discretion. A prosecutor can indict someone, he can have the case processed quietly and secretly, or he can expose it all to the public and uh, humiliate and and degrade the person as much as possible through the process. He has control over where the person goes to prison Uh, to a large extent. The government likes to say only the Bureau of Prisons decides that, but that's not accurate at all. The prosecutor has a lot of input in that regard, and particularly in the cases discussed in the book. That's true. But yet there's no overriding supervision of prosecutors. You'll see that throughout the book also. Their discretion is virtually unbounded. We like to think of the grand jury system as being one that protects citizens, but it doesn't. Grand juries are virtually a rubber stamp for prosecutors. There's hardly a prosecutor in the country who couldn't get an indictment against a potato out of a grand jury if that's what they wanted to do. Or get a case no bill if that's what they want. So the checks and balances...
2: You heard it, right? The grand jury process is just a damn rubber stamp. It is built to keep corrupt officials, killer cops, and anybody that they don't want prosecuted from going to jail. It's just that simple. And the plea bargain on the other hand, is built for no other reason than to put people in prison en masse. This is some seriously damning testimony right here. And it is true, Scotty, as you said, that we have some uh, parallel roads along with what they're talking about. Their concerns are for their rich or upper-class buddies who are going into prisons being lynched by the same legal noose that all of us are being lynched by. And it's enough to get them riled up to become whistleblowers. However, you got there, you're there and the truth is out. Uh my legal friends who are listening now, you should listen to this entirety of this speech from these people.
0: Well, I also want to say some of the abolitionists and profile we've featured have come from a libertarian website. So I think the seeds are already there to pull these people into abolitionism. And so while I'm not disagreeing because I, I don't have enough information to to tell you, you know, what the demographics are of the, of the people they're they're concerned about. But I mean, the guy who opened up, he was talking about middle class people, small business owners, just average average people going about their lives, and how there are over ten thousand uh, regulatory laws that put in place that a Supreme Court justice said that. Pretty much half the country is a criminal or engage in criminal activity, right. and this has, this has a direct of This has a direct line to the black codes that were passed during so-called Reconstruction by many Southern states, and and also you know they had segregation in Northern places as well, in Northern states. But when you start passing legislation, that again makes it illegal for let's say 10 black people to stand on the corner talking about something you know what i'm saying and you go you can lock them up they don't have a permit to have a public meeting or you know you're a homeless person vagrancy or you don't have a job you have to show proof of employment this i'm not making this up people these are some of the black codes and things they were doing in the former former confederate states a black person has to produce some kind of record of employment now back then they they were probably being paid in in cash or or trade or or something like that if a black person had a job they didn't have payroll checks i don't think they were issuing you know like we are accustomed to where we could whip out a payroll check and even today most you know those uh, uh payments or or employees get their stuff on a digital you know card and so um this is what he's talking about and it's happening right now so pretty much they, they would have the means if they had officers to the law enforcement and as Colin Kaepernick pointed out recently the slave catchers to go out there and round up those 150 million people and throw them in a slavery you know how much income that would generate wow for these slavers so this is a very real issue it's not just an issue for black people who are the most targeted. It is not uh, a issue for native americans who suffer high incarceration rates as well. Uh it's not for the a uh, uh, issue just for hispanics. Is or or white people. It's for everybody. When you say 150 million americans on the wrong side of the law because these politicians are criminalizing people activity. Then I mean, it it just doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out where we at and how we got here. That Thirteenth Amendment is right. what allowed this to
2: they happen. keep criminalizing people, and with the uh, inclusion again, once again, of private investors in the flesh peddling trade. It allowed the pure, unadulterated greed of capitalism to blow this thing out of the water, where now we're talking about 150 million people being affected by it at any time, can be arrested by anything, uh, with all of these laws that they have on the books now. 150 million Americans also represents another number, or another group, and that is the number of people who are either at, slightly above, Or below the poverty level Here in the United States 150 million people And let's not even Discount the number of people In poverty Uh, Just posted up a post In uh, New Abolitionist Radio Regarding Mississippi Where the utter failure Of the American dream Represents itself Through 246,000 Children Who are living in abject poverty Here in this country. All right, Scotty, we're running a little late, bro, and we got these segments to do, so maybe we should get on them unless there was something else you want to touch on beforehand. I do
0: believe we need to take our break.
2: All right, well, you heard it from Scotty. We'll be right back after this.
0: and live program scheduling, visit us on the web at Network.com.
2: Welcome back to New Abolitionist Radio. We're about to get into our regularly scheduled segments, which would start with our writer of the 21st Century Underground Railroad. But first, so, I would hey, like Max, to make note well, of an article we have on... Yes,
0: Scotty? Yeah, for the sake of time, if you want to go through, blow through uh, your two segments, and then I'll do the abolitionist profile and we can close out uh, tonight. But it's, it's it's been a very exciting night, um, very serious program full of uh, great information. Make sure that you share it with your friends out there on social media. We do our best at the Black Talk Media Project to put this these programs on as many platforms as possible so we're on pretty much all of them Spreaker, uh blog talk radio but of course our home is black talk radio network.com so share this information and let um your your um people know that hey they likely are on that wrong side of the law and uh in that 150 million uh people uh who are potential slaves
2: Yes, sir. Um, before I do, our rider of the twenty-first century underground railroad, where we recognize people who are being freed from bondage, uh, innocent people in this slave system, I would like to point out that as of two thousand and sixteen, there were record numbers of prisoners being exonerated all across America, except in one state. None came from Alabama. With that being said, our rider of the twenty-first century. Underground Railroad this week is Daryl Dwayne Holloway, a 48-year-old Milwaukee man out there with David Clark, exonerated by DNA evidence in a sexual assault case, was released from prison in 2016 after serving 24 years for a crime he did not commit. David left Green Bay Correctional Institution one day after Milwaukee County Sheriff's uh, C- Circuit Judge Jeffrey Wagner signed the order overturning the conviction and freeing him. Wagner had presided over the wrongful death uh, conviction in 1993. The decision came after prosecutors in the Milwaukee County District Attorney's Office agreed that DNA results showed Holloway's conviction in the 92 case should be reversed, according to a news release from the Wisconsin Innocence Project. It's another example of the way in which the criminal justice system as a human system can produce errors Keith Finley, co-director of the Wisconsin Innocence Project, said in a phone interview, the Wisconsin Innocence Project credited the District Attorney's Office for reviving the case. Now retired Assistant director, uh, dist- assistant District Attorney Norm Gahn reviewed the case file in April of 2015 and found conflicting DNA reports from separate labs meaning at least one lab made an error in its analysis, the news release stated. A new DNA report conclusively excluded Holloway as the perpetrator of the crime and identified the presence of male DNA from an unknown third party, according to the project. If it's a typical pattern in which eyewitness evidence was used to obtain the conviction and, as it turns out, The eyewitness evidence was pretty unreliable, said Finley, who also is a University of Wisconsin Madison law professor. He praised the prosecutors for taking on the case and serving as ministers of justice and not just advocates for convictions. And we hear a new abolitionist radio say, welcome to freedom, Brother Darrell Dwayne Holloway. God bless. Welcome home. Man, again, and they're praising themselves (laughs) when it wasn't them, really, that did it. They were part of the problem. All right, well, our next segment will be our rebellions. Uh, Our next segment will be our, for freedom's sake, a history of rebellions. And today we remember Denmark best. In 1771, 14-year-old Denmark Vesey was transported from St. Thomas to Cape Francis by slave trader, Captain Joseph Vesey. Upon a return trip to Cape Francois, Captain Vesey was forced to reclaim Denmark, who his master said was suffering from epileptic fits. Denmark accompanied Captain Vesey on his trading voyages until the captain retired to Charleston, South Carolina, never again showing signs of epilepsy. In 1779, Vesey won the lottery and brought his freedom for $600. He could not purchase the freedom of his wife and children, however, and some claim that this fact motivated his crusade to destroy the institution of slavery. Wow, like you need a motivation. Vesey joined the newly formed African Methodist Episcopal Church in 1817. He became a class leader. Preaching to a small group in his home during the week. White Charlestonians constantly monitored the African church, disrupting services and arresting members. An angry Vesey began preaching from the Old Testament, particularly Exodus, and taught followers that they were the new Israelites, the chosen people whose enslavement God would punish with death. In 1822, Vesey and other leaders from the African church began plotting a rebellion. His chief lieutenant was an East African priest named Gulajak, who led conspirators in prayer and rituals and gave them amulets to protect them in battle. Vesey's theology of liberation, combined with Gulajak's African mysticism, inspired potential participants and word of the rebellion grew. Vesey set the date for revolt on July 14th. And men from Charleston and surrounding plantations planned to seize Charleston's arsenals and guardhouses, kill the governor, set fire to the city, and kill every white man they saw. But in June, several nervous slaves leaked the plot to their masters, and Charleston authorities began arresting leaders. Vesey was captured on June 22nd, that would be tomorrow, and he and the conspirators were brought to trial, Despite torture and the threat of execution, the men refused to give up their followers. On July 2nd, Denmark, Vesey, and the five other men were hanged. Kojak was executed several days later, with the total number of executions reaching 35 by August 9th. In the aftermath of Vesey's rebellion, the African church was burned down, and authorities passed a series of laws further restricting the rights of Charleston slaves Vesey became a martyr for African-Americans and a symbol for the abolitionist movement, while the increasingly militant politics of white America dragged the country towards war. We here at New Abolitionist Radio salute you, Denmark Vesey, and we remember your crusade.
0: Salute. I mean, that could be our abolitionist profile right there since the Internet is acting up on my end, and I'm, I'm although I'm able to access... Um, website. That's fine
2: with me, Scotty. Denmark Vesey is our abolitionist in profile now, and the Vesey rebellion, which never really happened, but had enough white fear behind it to kill 35 people
0: being remembered. Well, I also want to point out some of the more gory details of the aftermath. Uh, Denmark Vesey's body was mutilated and people took souvenirs. Um, I, I even read an account where they made a belt and pouches from his skin. So again, these are this is the type of mindset that we are dealing with with people who support slavery. There is no amount of vileness or cruelty or inhumanity that they're willing to go. If you're willing to profit off of slavery, pretty much you're pretty much willing to do any any evil thing your mind can imagine. So these are the type of people we we're, we're talking about then and I view uh people like George Zoli and um Third Good Marshall what, what's his name? Third Good Marshall Junior. I, I or the third I uh yes. view I view them in the same light that I view those who who mutilated these people uh for a plot f- because they wanted to end slavery and make people free. And again, um let's not also forget that that is the church that Dylan Roof walked up into and killed nine parishioners. You know, they had burned down the original building, but it was rebuilt. And that's the building, that's the church that Dylan Roof walked into. So
2: uh, on the anniversary yeah. of the uprising indeed, Scotty, they knew it, it was all planned. And they assassinated a black senator and nobody cared.
0: Again, you know, South Bro, Carolina Scottie. man, I tell you, man, it's got some history. Uh, Benjamin Tillman, my goodness, you know, this man was a terrorist, a sitting U.S. senator connected to a terrorist organization called the Red Shirts that were also behind the execution of a uh, Republican congressman who happened to be a black man. When he got off the train, uh, executed him right there on the platform. So. These are the type of people um, we're dealing with today, man. So I just want to shatter any illusions that this is an easy fight, that, you know, we're dealing with reasonable people. I don't put anything beyond these these people today in order to keep slavery in place because it's, it's just too profitable.
2: Hey, Scotty, um, if you want to, we could uh, start with our final comments. I wouldn't mind sharing a short poem
0: Alright, well go Go um, go ahead into your poem um, Well I'll give my final comments And you can go into your poem If we, because um, we only have What, about six minutes uh, Left, we yes. got Mind, Body and Spirit Radio coming up and I need time To get prepared for them So my final comments will be While that task Before us is tall It is not insurmountable I am encouraged that um, within the short five years that I became aware that slavery was never abolished upon um being guided to the Thirteenth Amendment and reading it for myself and then falling in disgust with myself that I never looked up the Thirteenth Amendment before and and so it's a tall task, but at the same time the more the more people become aware of what it is, slavery then I believe, as Harriet Beecher Stowe said, once we confront them with this reality, they have to take a moral stand. They have to take a stand in their, <clears throat> in their mind. And so, to me, that's the easy part right there. And so we just need to keep spreading abolitionism and speaking about it anytime we can. And remember, August 19th, Washington, D.C., Lafayette Park in front of the White House uh, will be a rally. Uh, in support of modern day prison slaves. Hope to see you thank all you there.
2: I want to thank our guests for joining us tonight as well, and our caller uh, and you, the listener. This poem was uh, written today, fresh ink, and it came as the result of me have to, having to consider, who am I? I have no name. I have a number, two o two three. Given by state at birth, signed in indigo ink under day-old feet, father's name denied, mother's name like me, 2023, smoldering ashes like the building I was born in. I don't have a past, I am now, I am here, heritage robbed, forgotten, rejected, buried, legacies flipped, mixed and twisting with daring DNA dancers, choose all or none, one is gone, the love wasn't free. 2023 classification paper negro certified designation illegal lineage as loving laws need more time I am now I am here they are yet daydreamers among nightmares date 19 centuries three score and four since Christ the deadbeat dad walked out and said read this book I'll be right back still waiting for him to write back on the day on that day white National Guardsman point mean machine gun at North Black Woman and Child five miles away from the 2023 crib. I had nothing to say then. I'm saying nothing new now. A cat stole my tongue. A dog ate my homework. A monkey is a foster father. The elephant roommate won't budge. The 800-pound gorilla won't help. These are my blood-ringling brothers. Who am I? I have no name. I have a number. 2023 given by state at birth. Signed in indigo ink under day old feet, father name denied, mother name like me, 2023, smoldering ashes like the building I was born in. East side ghosts do not lean on me like they will in the home, underground railroad conductors. We have five projects. Dr. York is there calling them concentration camps and day dreaming of building pyramids in Georgia for 300 welfare babies. 2023 is not 301. Maybe 2023 is pattern, son. One day, 2023 will see projects, towers, and pyramids fall. Nothing is timeless. Nobody is perfect. I am both. I am now. I am here. Three clicks from Hurricane Carter's favorite bar in New Jack City, the city stopped making submarines, airplanes, silk. It only inspires movies for crybabies and money. Silence is golden in 2023 House Designation, 79 North First, First Ward, Last Chance. Help and care are scarce, but we have more aids and patience than anyone else. The big brown cardboard cheese blocks are sweet memories. More needles are in parks than trees, more bodies in cells than schools. I have not yet seen the moment when sitting poor on porch, I decided that a blue ice pop on a hot day is heaven. It is coming. I know it. If I could, I would tell him you are more than 2023. I will find your name in the book I was given. Here, read it. I'll be right back. Peace, y'all. Remember that abolition is a reason for a revolution, so we can finally know some peace. Rise
1: up, rise up, rise up, rise up, rise up. Lift your eyes up if his protection is gone and your enemies are near, if you've seen the sea spill over and the mountains shake, break, and fall, if the moon ever turns blood red and you can't see the sun at all, rise up, no matter if the prize is high in the skies or deep. Deep in perdition. If our leaders are globally despised and always seem to rise through attrition or blatant nepotism. If women and children have to live in impossible conditions, if you have to die due to someone else's damn decisions, rise up when innocent citizens perish for all our sins' sake. If the future seems bleak and your souls at stake, rise up.